We have uh, some Proverbs here on the theme of pride. So let me read them. Here's the Word of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is from Mark chapter 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them uh, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First Peter chapter 5 Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. O Christ, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as we come to the book of Proverbs here to gain wisdom, we need you, Christ. Help us to understand what pride is and how dangerous it is. And Lord, we ask 
by your Holy Spirit's power that, that we would grow in humility. Help us to see the glory of Jesus Christ in his humility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Boromir and Faramir are two brothers in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And uh, in Tolkien, he, he intentionally contrasts these two brothers by putting them both separately in the same temptation at different times. Both of these warriors were faced with the opportunity to seize for themselves the ring of power from Frodo. Boromir, the older brother, became enamored with his thoughts of what he could do with the ring to destroy the enemy and to establish peace in Middle-earth. He gave no thought as to what the ring could do to him, how it could corrupt him. He was so consumed by the lust for power to do good that he did not even notice himself being uh, consumed, being taken over by the madness of the ring's power. Boromir then tries to take the ring from Frodo, but Frodo narrowly escapes. When Boromir is released from his madness, he's shocked at what he's just done. He's grieved, he's ashamed of what he tried to do and what he said. His pride brought him shame. Further into the story, his younger brother, Faramir, had the opportunity to take the one ring from Frodo just as his brother did. He knew it wielded power and would give him glory, and yet he didn't take it. He didn't think too highly of himself. He, he didn't desire the glory for himself, and he didn't trust the power of the enemy in his hands. Faramir took the path of humility and weakness, and it became his strength and the benefit of all of Middle-earth. So two brothers, one prideful, trying to seize power and glory in the name of doing good things, the other humble, not trusting evil power in his hands and forsaking any thought of glory. And it was the humble one who was honored and who did the most good for Middle-earth. What do you do when you have the opportunity to take for yourself recognition, credit, power, influence, praise? Do you push others down so that you can rise up? Do you fill your mind with the good that you could accomplish if you had the power not taking into account your susceptibility to the effects that power can have in feeding your own pride? Just as Satan uh, tempted Jesus in the wilderness with giving him the authority over all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would just but bow down to him and worship him, so also Satan is luring and enticing our pride with the power and glory of this world. But to take the power offered by the devil, to take that ring of power in a sense, to take that power is to be enslaved by the devil, to come under his power. And you can never be sovereign in power like God. 
Satan wants you to think that you can, but you are either his slave or you are a servant and child of God. Do not be lured and enticed by pride. So today we're going to consider what the Proverbs and other scriptures teach us about pride and its polar opposite, humility. We can't talk about one without the other. We'll first consider what pride is and why it's dangerous. And then we'll uh, look at humility and why we also desperately need it. And then we'll consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest, greatest example of humility and, and the ever-flowing fountain of our humility. And then we'll end by considering how we can repent from pride and grow in humility. So let's by, begin by looking at pride and, and, uh, and describing it and seeing why it's so deadly and destructive. So what's pride? How do we define something so abstract and, and so ubiquitous, so prevalent? Can a fish define water? In the same way, we're so engulfed in pride that we hardly notice its constant influence on us. So look with me at Proverbs 18, 10 through 12, the first passage on our list. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. And is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. These three back to back to back proverbs are related. There's the example of the righteous man who finds his protection in the name of the Lord. This act of running to God for protection is an act of humility. Then there's the rich man who finds his protection in his own wealth. It feels like a strong city, a, a high wall that's unpenetrable. He feels so secure with his money, but that protection is just his imagination. Money offers no lasting security and can protect someone from the wrath of God just as much as an anthill can hold back a flood. Verse 12 gives this principle that we see again and again throughout Scripture. It's a principle that's ironic. That pride comes before the fall, but humility comes before honor. It's one of the major themes of the Bible. We see it repeated again and again and again. and it, it, We see it in story form, where it happens in real life to people. Uh, and we also see it in principle form, where it's taught in, in, uh, in principle in different, uh, with different aspects, different, um, uh, with different words. Um, and we see it in both Testaments. So it's really important. Verse 12 describes the prideful man as one whose heart is haughty, prideful. First thing we see is that pride's home is the heart of man. That's where it's born and bred. So we need to know the workings of our inner selves. If we're going to understand pride, we need to understand our desires, our motivations, our feelings, our goals, our pleasures, our displeasures, our choices. Understanding all of these things and how they move and work and influence within ourselves 
that will help us to begin to understand our own pride. The second thing we need to see from this is the word haughty. In Hebrew, this word means to be lifted up or exalted. The Bible describes pride in other parts of Scripture in the same way, where our hearts are lifted up. So pride is when we raise ourselves up above others' people and raising ourselves up up against God. Pride raises itself above the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, the law of God, or at least it tries to. The prideful person thinks in their own imagination that they are above God, but that's a mere fantasy. It's a fantasy that's been at the heart of man ever since the beginning, ever since the first temptation of Adam and Eve. Satan told Eve in the garden uh, of Eden that if she would eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that she would be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride desires to be like God, having the power he has, having the sovereign independence that he has. In in his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis calls pride the complete anti-God state of mind. The complete anti-God state of mind. It's, It's the desire to be against God's rule over your life and to be like God in his sovereign independence. It's in essence, it's in essence the desire to become a God ourselves. James Montgomery Boyce said, The root of pride is saying that we can do without God. We don't need Him. We want to become a a law unto ourselves. It doesn't matter what God said. I can do what I want. I don't need God. Here's another quote from the 16th century Scottish Puritan Thomas Boston. He said this, Pride is the very image of the devil. Pride is the very image of the devil. And he's spot on. Pride is what caused Satan to fall. Pride was the first temptation that he used on our first parents. And so our pride is reflective of Satan and his influence on us and on all of Adam's race. So I think, I think this is a good start in describing pride. So why is it so dangerous? Well, there's a number of reasons. The first is that God hates pride and will destroy the prideful. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Destruction comes to those who are haughty, who are prideful, conceited. And that that destruction is a destruction that comes from the hand of God. 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God opposes the proud. You know, pride can have a lot of natural consequences in life. You know, you can lose friends. You can lose your reputation. You can start a whole bunch of conflict with other people. 
and get in, it just causes so much fights and quarreling. So there's a lot of natural consequences that, that pride makes uh, dangerous, but the greatest danger comes from God himself. Romans 2.2 2 says that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice, and it lists a whole bunch of things, and, and, and it, that includes being haughty and boastful. In light of this, Charles Spurgeon warns us, saying, Better to lose your pride than to lose your soul. Why be damned for pride's sake? Why carry your head so high that it needs to be cut off? Why feed your pride on your soul's blood? Surely there is cheaper stuff to drink than that for pride. Thank you, Spurgeon, for the warning. It's well taken. A second reason why pride is so dangerous is that it is considered by many to be the source of all sin. The queen bee of sin, you could say. Now there's a, there's a debate among theologians that's been going on for a long time. It's about what the root of every sin is. Is it unbelief? Is it pride? Is it idolatry? I mean, good cases can be made for all three of those. For they are all certainly related. And we, we cannot simply divorce pride from unbelief or from idolatry. So I'm not going to try to end that debate, but to just simply help us see that pride is, is one of the foundational roots of all of our sins, if not the most foundational root. Augustine of Hippo said, the source of sin is pride. And then one of his uh, contemporaries, 4th uh, and 5th century contemporaries, uh, John Chrysostom, he said something similar. He said this, Pride is the beginning of sin, the first impulse and movement toward evil. Perhaps indeed it is uh, both the root and the foundation. For every sin begins from it and is maintained by it. From pride springs contempt of the poor, Desire of riches, the love of power, the longing for much glory. There is therefore no evil like pride. It renders a man a demon, insolent, blasphemous, perjured, and makes him desirous of deaths and murders. How then can a man extinguish pride? By knowing God. For if we know him, all pride is banished. That's great. Let's jump now to the Reformation. John Calvin. He agreed, saying, Pride is the mother of all contempt of God. And then, let's jump to the 20th century to C.S. Lewis. Says, again, he said this, The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, this sermon would never end if we tried to name all the sins that uh, came from pride. 
Um, but what are some sins that have a very high concentration of pride in their DNA? Uh, the, the ones that are marked by lifting oneself up against other people, over people, and, and also against God. Well, there's scoffing, snobbery, discontentment, arrogance, boasting, perfectionism, irritability, comparison, self-pity, you know, when we're saying... Life isn't going well for me. Everybody look at me. Life's not going well for me. That's pride. The fear of man. Hiding your faults. Self-sufficiency. Self-centeredness. Being self-absorbed and always looking out for yourself. Narcissism, of course. Being self-governed or lawless. Being... Opinionated but uninformed. Self-righteousness. The list could go on. So pride is dangerous because from it are born all other sins. And so we would do well to consider how to weaken and starve and suffocate it. But pride is dangerous for a third reason. It is the most tenacious of all sins. Charles Spurgeon said, If killed, pride revives. If buried, it bursts the tomb. You may hunt down this fox and think you've destroyed it, and lo, your very exaltation is pride. <laughs> so like weeds that always keep popping up after you've plucked them up, so is pride. I went on a little jog this morning, and and uh, um, I, have a, I have a neighbor who's a Christian, and he was out... Uh, doing some weeding and and, uh, and I, I stopped to say hi and and he's like he's pulled up these weeds and he's just like you know weeds are like you know they're, they're like sin they got these you know, they got these roots that you don't see and they always keep popping up and I was like I was like I'm preaching on that this morning <laughs> so I thought that was confirming and providential but uh, so killing killing sin uh, killing pride specifically it's just this constant game of whack-a-mole that but that doesn't mean that it's futile. That doesn't mean that we give up. It just means that it will be our constant work until the Lord takes us home. So it's good work to do. It's hard work. It's constant work. But we must do it. So that's pride and why it's dangerous. Now, let's move to its polar opposite. Humility. Since Augustine thought of pride as being the source of all sin, we shouldn't be surprised that he said, humility is the vessel of all graces. This isn't because humility itself is the producer of graces, but humility is the act of, our ta of attaching ourselves to God, of depending on Him, of submitting to Him, of receiving from Him. He is the source of all graces and good fruits in our lives. So, if pride is viewing ourself as a strong tower, humility is the act of running into the name of the Lord to be our strong tower of protection. 
If pride is being wise in our own eyes, humility is trusting in God with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging Him, trusting and waiting on Him to make our paths straight. True humility isn't, uh, uh, hey God, look at me, look at, see how humble I am. See, see, see how, how much I give, see how much uh, I'm serving people, see how much I'm doing without people even noticing. That's not humility. True humility says, God, I need you. True humility is a running into the safe refuge of Jesus Christ. So don't, don't say to God, look at me. Instead say to him, look to Christ, O God, and hide me in him. We all need humility because God has promised that he gives grace to the humble. And that he honors and exalts the humble. The ultimate honor of humility is being declared an adopted child of God, an heir of all things, a co-heir with Christ, and a citizen of heaven. That's the ultimate honor. These honors far, far away any, 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 any honor that, that, that you could get in this life. To be the king of the entire world would not compare with the wealth and privilege of being an heir of the kingdom of God. We see another benefit of humility in Psalm 138. Verse 6 it says, For the Lord is high. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. So when we are low in our disposition toward God, He regards us. He he considers us. He, he's near to us. He hears our prayers. He is good and generous toward us. There's nothing more wonderful than, than, the, than the near presence of God as you walk throughout life. It, can, it contents the soul. It quiets it. And whether you abound with worldly pleasures or, or not, the humble soul is contented by the Spirit of God. Humility opens the ears to hear God's wisdom and, and his, his law and His will for our life. And, and, and humility is the disposition that seeks to obey. It, it isn't content with ignorance of God's word. It seeks to know God's word so that it can obey it. The path of life is walked by humility. There's no other way. Now you may be thinking, well, I know I have pride in my life. And if God promises to oppose the proud, what hope do I have? If you're thinking or feeling that, that I want you to know that's a really good question. We read earlier Proverbs 16:5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Be assured he will not go unpunished. 
So if we are told to be assured that the arrogant will not go unpunished, then how can we have any confidence that we can avoid the wrath of God? This is where the gospel of God's amazing grace and mercy comes in. Because of the gospel, the pride and humility principle that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, it gets flipped. Us proud sinners get grace. And the humble one, Jesus, received the Father's opposition. Because Jesus humbled himself and became man, because he obeyed God the Father to the point of death, because he humbly took on the punishment for our sins that we deserved, because of Jesus, we, the ones guilty of pride, we are given the free grace of God. And so our pride was punished. It was punished on the cross of Jesus Christ. There is mercy and grace for the prideful, for those who are humbled by what Jesus did on the cross and who run to him that their sins may be forgiven, that they might find shelter from the wrath of God. Jesus is the only strong tower that is safe when the wrath of God comes. Like like Noah's Ark. Jesus is the only safe place to be inside when the flood of God's wrath comes for sin. So see your need for Him. See how terrible of a God you are. Pride and Satan are terrible masters. Turn from them if you haven't already. Humble yourself before the Lord. Believe on Him and you will find life everlasting. Now, how can we, as Christians, how can we grow now? How can we continue to repent from pride and grow in humility? The gospel is the starting point. It's because of what Jesus has done that you and I can have new life and can be free from pride and can live a life of humility. This new life comes from the Holy Spirit and He bears within us the fruit of humility. We don't have the power in ourselves to be humble. And we don't simply just need Jesus to be just a good example and then we see that example and then we just, in our own strength, we can be humble. That's not how it works. Instead, we need the Holy Spirit's help to be humble, to follow that example of Jesus' humility. So there's so much hope for you and I uh, to be humble because the same Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in every Christian. So that's great news. So to turn from pride and to grow in humility... Remember first the gospel of God's grace and the free gift of the Holy Spirit who can empower humility in you. And then second, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Remember that because of the gospel, you belong to God. 
You don't belong to the devil anymore. You're free. You belong to God. Here's one of my favorite quotes from John Calvin. If we are not our own, but the Lord's, it's clear what errors we must flee and what we must direct our whole lives toward. We are not our own. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not make the gratification of our flesh our end. We are not our own. Therefore, as much as possible, let us forget ourselves and our own interests. Rather, we are God's. Therefore, let us live and die to Him. We are God's. Therefore, let us let His wisdom and His will govern all our actions. We are God's. Therefore, let us, in every way, in all of our lives, run to Him as our only proper end. How far has he progressed who's been taught that he is not his own? Who, who's taken rule and dominion away from his own reason and entrusted them to God? For the plague of submitting to our own rule leads us straight to ruin. But the surest way to safety is neither to know nor to want anything on our own, but simply to follow the leading of the Lord. To remember that you're not your own. And to live out of that reality is a sure way to turn from pride and to grow in humility. Third, remember not only whose you are, but who you are. Because you belong to God, you have a new identity. You're His adopted child. And as His child, you have a job to do. To be a servant of all until you receive your inheritance in heaven. The Apostle James, the Apostles James and John, they learned this the hard way. And it's recorded in the Bible for every generation to hear about. In the Mark 10 passage that we read earlier, James and John come up to Jesus and they ask for the greatest honor imaginable. From, for both of them to, to sit on either side of of Jesus in the glory of his kingdom. It's like good grief. <laughs> wow. Talk about pride. <laughs> See, two brothers, and then they're both Boromirs. They both want all the glory uh, above everyone, except for Jesus, of course. Well, you know, the, the, ten, the ten other apostles hear about it, and they get ticked. Turns out their pride was hurt, too. C.S. Lewis said, The more pride we have, the more other people's pride irritates us. Right? Yeah, that's true. It's true. So this prideful attempt to seize power by James and John revealed not only their pride, but also the pride of the ten other apostles. But thankfully, Jesus didn't give up on them for their pride. He's so patient with them, and, and just as he is with us. Instead, what Jesus does is he, he flips their world upside down. He tells them what Christianity and following him is really all about. He says this, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be great in the kingdom of Jesus is to be a servant. A servant of your brothers and sisters in Christ. To be a servant of your neighbors and your community. That's who you are now that you're a follower of Jesus. You don't get to choose if that's you or not. You are a servant. That's your identity. Just as Jesus came to serve, we are called to serve too. We're not greater than our master. Sometimes we get afraid that if, if, if we serve other people, then who, who's going to take care of us? Who's going to take care of me? Well, don't let that worry stop you from serving. God will provide for you as you follow Him. There's so many ways, so many formal ways, but, but just an endless number of informal ways to serve people in the church and in our community. So if you're, if you're looking around and, and you're thinking, oh, there's nothing to do, all the jobs are taken at Trinity, you need to open up your eyes. <laughs> there, is a, there are just never-ending ways to serve. And most of them have no titles, no training, no commissioning, no laying on of hands, no recognition, but they must be done. Every person in this room can be served in a variety of ways. If you just look around, everyone you see is someone you are called to serve. And some of you need to be okay with people serving you, with knowing your needs, helping you out, praying for you. Okay? That can be really hard for some of you. But you're not your own. You belong to God. And so you belong to His body, the church. Another way for us to grow in our humility is to be content and even glad in our weaknesses. Now that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul, though, experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that God gave him a vision of heaven and what, what he saw was, was a glorious revelation that, that man may not even utter. And so... God did something to keep Paul from becoming prideful about what he experienced. He gave him a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn was. Paul didn't say. We, we do know it wasn't like a literal thorn in his body. But whatever it was, it made him weak. It made him unable to do the good that he thought he must do. Unable to, to be who he thought he needed to be for the benefit of the church. Paul prayed again and again and again for God to remove it. But he didn't. God wanted Paul to be content with his weakness so that he could see God's power on full display. God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. 
My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is Paul crazy? No, he's changed. This passage turns your world upside down. In order to be strong, we need to be weak. In order for the power of Christ to work through us, we must see our weaknesses. And when we become okay with that, when we begin to be content, when we begin to content ourselves in our weaknesses, we become glad of our weaknesses because we begin to see that God gets the glory. We don't. God gets the glory. So what thorns are in your life that you've been praying again and again and again for God to take away, but He hasn't? God wants you to be content in your weakness. To be even glad of it because His power is going to shine more clearly through it. Finally, and, and perhaps this is just the most practical advice on how to grow in humility. Pray. Prayerlessness is a sure indicator of pride and prayerfulness is the common trait of all the meek and lowly. So pray. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Oh Lord, we, we in, in our pride, we deserved your wrath. But because of the, the love of Jesus Christ, the mercy of Jesus Christ, the humility of Jesus Christ, because of that, we sinners, prideful sinners, we have received the grace of God. So Lord, help us to share that grace with other people. Help us to walk in humility, to defer credit and praise, the praise of man, to, 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 to just treat it like a hot potato and hand it off to somebody else. Lord, we need you. May we never stop seeing our continual need for you. We thank you so much, O oh God, that your power can be made perfect in our weakness. So in, with that in mind, help us to serve one another. Even if we're not the best at it, help us to serve. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.